ride with me in my foul life. We've had the provider mentality for a long time. Growing up and watching dad and mom cook wild game, whether it was an Italian lasagna or a spaghetti or my dad's just the heritage, just his, his deer steak at camp over an open flame, the way he cooked antelope and elk and fish, I watched in awe and I couldn't wait to be old enough to do it. Then we got to travel and meet all of these different chefs at all these different lodges in Argentina and Uruguay or Paraguay or Arkansas or Missouri or Chef Mark Lindsay who you hear on the podcast, This Life Ain't For Everybody, a lot up in Minnesota at Trapper's Landing, part of the Reed's family of brands. And I started to learn so many different unorthodox, out-of-the-box ways of preparing Mr. Billy Bogey smothered deer steak at Prairie Wings Duck Club in Arkansas or the duck empanadas at Duck Guides of Argentina or the Italian recipes I've learned with the Particelli family in Napa and around Merlot Waterfowl. And they all became part of the Provider Cookbook, the Provider Mentality. At theproviderlife.com, our rubs, our original 10 in the Ultimate Pack, including the swine and the flaky the spawn, the drop time, the foul, the crosshairs, the Brit, the dragon, the Sonora. I know I'm missing a couple. Then we introduced the brand beef rub and the mother clucking chicken rub. And you can find recipes at theproviderlife.com. We just did striper, fresh striper from the Sacramento River. Thank you, Rocky, Brad, Chris, Nolan, everybody that helps us get on the boat and catch these awesome fish. And then to share them with Les, my brother Clinton Clay, our family, our friends. Last night we did Napa Valley olive oil, lemon flavored olive oil, capers, and butter with black pepper. Fresh striper fillets. No breading, no crust, no carbs, high in protein, some fat in there from the butter and the oil, but the flavor blew my brother Clint's mind. We paired it with a little Jack Daniels 10-year-old on the rocks, and we were living high on the hog after we watched my nephew Chase win a baseball game for his 12-year-old team, the Padres. That's what life is all about, living that provider mentality, eating wild, eating that orga- organic lifestyle, living off the land, understanding sustainability, eating what you harvest, eating what you catch, and learning how to make it taste good. Oh, man, duck sucks. No, it doesn't. I promise you, speckle belly is the best meat you'll ever eat. I like it better than elk. I like it better than beef when it's done right with that crispy skin. So get the provider mentality. Check us out at theproviderlife.com. Check out the provider TV on the My Outdoor TV app, Mo TV, part of the Outdoor Sportsman's Group and the Outdoor Channel family of brands. We got more coming. We got so much more coming, and I'm going to start get letting it out of the bag, but another podcast might be on the horizon, hosted by somebody that means the world to us. We can't wait to give you more details and information on that but in the meantime good luck out in the field good luck out on the rivers i hope you get those wild turkey nuggets and that pickle juice right away and getting ready to throw down with some different rubs on them the provider lifestyle we're so honored to live it thank you lord for letting us be outdoorsmen hunter gatherers conservationists and providers again the providerlife.com thank you for visiting first off uh Thank you for being here, Ben Cassidy, Safari Club International. You, you've been traveling quite a bit. Um, this, this is it. Kind of like we're two years out from a, a a major major election. Is it get real real busy from you for the next twenty four months? Yeah, I mean, I would say when the elections, it never lets up. But obviously, it gets amped up when you have a presidential going on. 
that's just where the whole kit and caboodle up for grabs. We see if the country wants to hit the accelerator or hit the brake on things. You know where I stand right now. I'd like to hit the brake on where things are headed because it's been really torturous for uh, for hunters with what's been coming out. The administration uh, just completely unchecked at this point. We're lucky to have you know a lot of our champions for hunters in the House of Representatives right now to slow it down some. We didn't have that firewall for a good couple of years, but that slowed it down. But now you can just see in plain view, you know, kind of like death by a thousand cuts, just setting all these little fires in the administrative state that just turn into this big roaring bonfire um, just across the, the board. It's what we hope to not see, but had a feeling we might end up seeing and, and, and it's come to roost. When this administration sits in their office and on their phone calls and in their board meetings, what quite possibly could be the reasoning to set these, what you describe as little fires that could potentially blaze into a huge bonfire against hunting? Why are they so set when there's scientific proof that proves why this is so important to the environment? into conservation what what are they saying to each other i mean i don't i'm not a fly on the wall so i don't get privy information i'm not privy to information why though why what 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 would make them want to even come out and try to press us like this yeah i don't know i mean it's a good question i don't know that there's one like simple answer to it i mean all i can really say is you know elections have consequences you know this administration will dance with the folks that brought them to the party you know, they've got special interest groups that don't like hunting. Um, that's what they raise money off of. And they've got their ear and they're kind of getting cashing in their, their credits with them right now. I mean, I think there's no better example of what you're talking about than what we're seeing with, with, with lead bands, right? These lead phase outs. Uh, we saw for the first time in the hunt fish rule that came out last year where they phased lead out 13 refuges. I'm going to anticipate that that happens again. Um, in the in the upcoming hunt fish rule that we should see in the next month, the proposed one, and obviously we'll be culling through it and reading through it and putting our comments in on it. Uh, but on those, you know, it was saying best available science. That's that's why they're shutting down lead. And then you read further into it, and on these refuges, they would say we don't have any science that shows population wide, you know, negative impacts. It's like, okay, you can't use the term best available science as a shortcut to doing what you want to do regardless of the science. But that's exactly what we're seeing. So we'll see what comes out of this next hunt fish rule, but we're more than ready to just hammer them on it because it's just it, it's, it's just not consistent and it's not keeping up with the science. And that's why we're, we're, we've been championing, you know, legislation that's introduced uh, by Senator Steve Daines from Montana and Congressman Rob Whitman um, from from Virginia. That, that's all it asked for. Fish and Wildlife is going to go ahead and try to ban lead. Have the science, show it to us, and get input from stakeholders that are that are local. Is that what the people there in the refuge are asking for? You know, the states that manage the wildlife. If you find those two things, and it shows that it, it's required, fine. But we've yet to see that. Right? It's just purely ideological like agenda driven um this look is at gonna... alaska right now i mean just keep talking about access all day over the last two years we've asked over and over to the administration all their political appointees you know can you commit to no net loss of access we're not saying we expect you to open up millions of acres every year and have hunting everywhere but can you commit to not taking it away from us 
never committing to it. And now what we see in place are just enormous closures, millions of acres, millions of acres just in Alaska alone of public land. You know, we all pay our taxes. I know it's probably fresh on all of our minds. It's been a month since they were due. Um, These are our public lands and they're just shutting it down without any really good reasoning, actually flying in the face of comments that are being submitted by hunters saying, we want this open. We want this available. It's always top of mind for, for hunters, right? And when it goes into physical access, can I go there to hunt? It goes into economic access. Can I afford to do it? And we're just seeing that squeeze on all sides, regardless of what we have to say about it. And they just forget, you know, that hunters are the, the group, the group that puts back into what we use, right? If we go out and we go hunt, we pay into that system. No other user group does it. Probably deserve to have somewhat of a say in how things go, but they're just not listening. It's just very frustrating. When you start thinking about reasons for a ban, a ban such as lead, which in my world of waterfowl hunting happened in like, I think, 1996 or 97, pretty much before I even started waterfowl hunting. When I came into the space, I believe it was like one or two, three years after you had to use steel. And we all know the advancements of where peak companies like Federal have taken tungsten and, and bismuth and all the super steels that are out there. I mean, a duck or a goose has a hard time flying through the patterning and ammo today. But my question, Ben Cassidy, is with short-term science where are they saying that the populations of animals like let's take the yellowstone elk let's take black bears let's take mule deers in in states like arizona and utah and northern nevada and colorado where they continue to thrive the rocky mountain elk population is healthy as long as the winter ranges have been subdued through feeding programs my question is all of those years of all of those rifles being shot, which is, does not accumulate to that much lead being put out into the into the environment. What is the real what the real argument here is? They also are going after it, making cougar hunting illegal like they did in the state of California, running bears with dogs like they did in the state of California. Predator hunting has never been under attack like it is today, just calling coyotes and stuff. So really the big monster is these predators have free access to these animals, no problem. Hunters are trying to practice predator management. Yep. I'm trying to figure out what you mean by short-term science. The short-term science says if you don't manage predators – then they are going to feast on all of these animal wildlife populations, plus the livestock of Montana, Wyoming, ranchers, and other states, too, of cattle and sheep and, and, and pork and everything that they're farming and ranching. Where's the short-term science saying, oh, it's okay to even have this on the docket? No, I'm, I'm not saying that. It's, they're not even re- referencing short-term science. I'm saying they're, say, they're using the term best available as a shortcut to just pushing through what they want. It's not even referencing the science is what I'm saying. It's not even looking at it or considering it. It's flying in the face of it because it's not convenient to their arguments. It doesn't jive with their arguments. And like, like, like you said, you just look at America and our wildlife today, right? We're in a golden age, never, n- never had it as good as we do today. Obviously there's, there's make or break seasons on, on waterfowl and you know better than anyone else how that goes. You look around it, turkey populations, elk roaming around places that we haven't seen in the last, you know, couple hundred or couple hundred years. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. And not to take a look at that and to, you know, recognize what's gotten us there. 
just really hunter led conservation. And then to, you know, reward that just, it boggles the mind. It's purely ideological driven. So the ideology is to hurt our feelings because it's not going to help conservation. So are they just trying to hurt our feelings? Is that, do they just want to upset us because we're gun owners or do they just want to upset us because we harvest an animal? Is that, I mean, is it just to hurt our feelings and try to make us cry or to try to get an uprise out of us? I don't, I don't see, I don't, I just don't understand the ideology of even thinking this way. Like I, whether you're whatever side of the party you're on, I can't figure out what, where, isn't there something that you could be doing better to, to, to protect our borders or do something to protect our country than this? You're just going after one of the biggest militias in the world, right? The American hunter is 15 million deep. That's a lot of, that's a lot of soldiers. Why are they messing with us? I just, I can't, I can't fathom it. I'm just like blown away by the studies I just read in California of what's going on with the cougars in the state. I can tell, I can't tell you how many dead black bears I've seen on the highway. I never used to see black dead bear, black dead black bears on the highway, man. Yeah. Never. And now you just, they're just getting rolled up because they're out of control population wise in Northern California. I, I just, I, I don't understand what the first sentence is out of their mouth of like, look, I got a great idea. This is going to really protect us of, or this is really going to end hunting for us in the future. I just don't even know where it gets started. It's nuts. I mean, it's, yeah, the, you mentioned uh, black bears in California. It makes you think of, you know, the other side of the country in, in Connecticut, where you had a, gov- uh, uh, you know, gentleman run for governor. Um, he won. Part of his platform was saying that he was going to shut down the inhumane killing of black bears. There will be no more black bear hunting, you know, regard, regardless of what his natural resources, you know, um, commission had to say about it. We're just going to shut it down. I don't I, I don't like it. And they closed down black bear hunting. We sued the, you know, opinionated judge threw us out and we warned them in there, said without regulation, without regulation, you're going to have human wildlife conflicts. And sure enough. Over time, you started to see people getting attacked by bears, dogs getting eaten, family members being attacked. And so what did the governor do? Oh, my gosh, what do we do about this problem? Opened up a season again. It's like you can't you can't manage without managing. Right. And it's just so sad that we have to get to the point of lost lives for people to recognize that and then reestablish it. But you're just seeing it across the country. That's why California to Connecticut, geez. Well, if you look at California with the Cougars too, I am a betting man being from where I'm from, and I would bet all the money I have that somebody's controlling the Cougar population in California when they get these calls about human interaction, pet interaction, livestock interaction, wildlife interaction, roaming the streets. I mean, the the most populated city in the country per capita for coyotes is Los Angeles, the home of Disneyland and Rodeo Drive. People associate with Los Angeles. They don't even think hunting. There's so much wildlife down there. It's unreal. Coyotes are running rampant in the city limits. Um, who's con- who is controlling the cougar population? Because I promise you that somebody's killing the cougars in California. And I know that it's not, it's not legal permitted licensed hunters anymore that would that would pay into that tourism dollar that tax dollar through gasoline that tourism dollar through hotels food taxidermy money they're, they're being buried somewhere 
Okay, it's not it's not a genius. It doesn't take a genius to understand that the government is still killing cougars in the state of California. Hands down, they're flying around shooting cougars out of airplanes and helicopters to protect these communities. Otherwise, you would be hearing stories every day of people being attacked by cougars. Sure. So I don't know if you can speak on that, Ben, in the position you are with Safari Club, but. I live next to the state, and I don't know if you know this, but if you harvest a cougar in the state of Nevada, you cannot drive in because our route to come home is through California back into Nevada, or else it's it's 200 miles of gravel road. That's an exaggeration. It's about 150 miles of gravel mm-hmm. road. Most folks opt to take the pavement through California. You cannot drive that cougar into the state of California. Mm-hmm. It cannot go into the state. That's crazy. First off, but I just want to know, is it safe to say that these cougars are being managed in one cap, cap, you know, in one phase or another? And if they are, how are they being managed? I can't say the way California is doing it, but I just do know with wildlife, they don't manage themselves, right? No, they can't. So it's, it's disgusting that something as simple as cougar hunting to protect other animals, other populations, plus livestock, plus protect that species and manage that species the right way. There's no scientific data that says it should have been outlawed. It's just a strong arm play to where, um, we fa- we're facing it left and right right now. If you see what's going on in the, in our state of Nevada with our coyote hunting every Every time the ballot comes around, Ben Cassidy, it's we are going to go after coyote hunting. I'm like, are you out of your mind? How how bad these things will multiply if yep. you if you don't manage them? Because who else manages a coyote in North America? Tell me who does a cougar, maybe a wolf and Mother yep. Nature and Mother Nature. Otherwise, they have their pick of the draw. Totally. So anyway, and that's, I, that's coming from a duck hunter. Duck hunters don't normally care about the, the coyotes or you like them, right? You know, they're, you know they're what, eating you, the skunks and the, you know what? One of my worst pet peeves is, you know, that, you know, a red fox will kill a million red foxes, kill a million adult ducks a year. Wow. That's life. That's like you take you take a trapping program out of the of the of states like North Dakota, the prairie pothole region of our country, South Dakota, Southern Canada. Red foxes would smash. Skunks will eat every egg they can out of a, of a hen mallard's nest. But my, one of my biggest pet peeves is when you hear a human being, whether it's, and I know that a redneck's going to hear this and go, you ought to just learn. And uh, All they ever say is they use a bad word. It's a four-letter word that starts with F. Okay? it's It sounds like the animal I love to chase, duck. And they say F a coyote. And I'm like, wait a minute. Why? You can't. Why? Because he ate one of the deer that you had on a trail camera. Why? Because he snuck under your fence and took your chicken. We we grew our homes and our land and our establishments into these wild coyote populations. Who are we to say F a coyote? So my my whole deal has always been respect the coyote. He is the best hunter in North America. He's in the top seven predator hunters in the world behind a piranha, the wild dog of Africa, which is illegal to hunt. And they're running wild. They're the number one kill ratio in the world for a predator is the wild dog of Africa. You have piranhas on there. You have fox on there. You have cougar. You have bears. How can you sit here and say that? Of That animal deserves utmost respect. You have to manage that animal. You have to yep. protect your puppy in the backyard. You know that one time me and my dad were calling coyotes around the city limits of Reno, Nevada. And I'm talking, you could see downtown Reno from my stand. 
this coyote starts coming in and I'm like, what is it? What is that? He's got like a deform. He's his jaws deformed. It's like he got hit or, you know, something comes in. My dad smacks him, walk up there. And that, and now the coyote looks normal, but you hear this and I look up and there's a little tiny puppy. It's a, 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 not a Siberian Husky, but some kind of Husky. And that dog is climbing and it's that you could see where that coyote's fangs had went into the backbone of this dog. And that coyote was coming to the call to eat again with a mouthful of a puppy that he had just taken out of this neighborhood less than a mile away. Wow. We found out doing due diligence. We rushed that puppy to an emergency vet, found out who the owners were, could not save the puppy. And they said that the coyote came into their backyard and they were, they were, they were confused. And I'm like, Dude, a coyote could dig a tunnel if he needed to, to eat. Sure. That dog needs three pounds of fresh, bloody meat a day during the winter to survive. He doesn't care how he gets it. You leave a freshborn puppy with afterbirth in your backyard and you're not protecting that litter, something bad's going to happen in this part yep. of the country. So anyway, I've always just had that mindset, Ben, of like, that I, I don't like hearing any hunter say F a coyote or I hate coyotes. I yeah. absolutely respect a coyote for what they've been able to do. So I don't know. That's kind of a soapbox statement, but I, I think it's really crazy about what happens in that boardroom to even start these fights against hunting. When hunters don't want the fight, we're ready to fight, but we're not out there looking for it. When was the last time you went to Capitol Hill and said, we need to raise the duck limit to 35 ducks a day per hunter. We don't do this kind of stuff. No, that's funny. You mentioned the Hill because last week we had our fly in, you know, we had uh, over a hundred volunteers from around the country come into Washington, DC to go visit the Hill. Um, and that was not on our priority list was asking for 35 ducks a day. <laughs> but, but, but do we ever, I mean, we sit there and no. go, we, hunters duck hunters go can we get one more pintail a day laird hamberlin the president and ceo of sci comes out to california which i'd love for you to someday and he looks at the pintails and he's like we can only get one and i'm like can you believe it because it's a it's a federal mandate it's a federal limit yep but we don't go up there and raise hell and be like well it needs to be raised to 10 because the pintail limit used to be 10 so back in the day so hunters aren't unreasonable is my point we're not being unreasonable we abide we abide by the laws if you say that turkey hunting cannot start in the tennis in the state of tennessee this year until april 15th which was the law which was a week late it put it put turkey hunter turkey hunters in a weird spot it was different this year the, the limit in Alabama was dropped. The limit in Georgia was dropped. Hunters aren't sitting there going, hunters aren't sitting there going, what the heck? No, they're, they're adapting. They say things like, let's see what this happens. If the science is saying that the population's down, well, maybe it's a limit thing. Yeah, Some I mean, people- I, was, I was turkey hunting in Tennessee on the opener and nobody from there was saying, you know, I can't believe that they dropped the limit. They're saying we've had a problem. We've seen a population crash and we want to see it get back up to what it was. You know, hundred percent. we've been able to recruit all these new hunters because of how good the populations were. Everyone was having an incredible experience and time out there. And now we're seeing it kind of dive and people are coming back empty handed. We want to do whatever it takes to get it back up. That's what everything like universally people were saying. hundred percent. But isn't, isn't that our point is that that is what an adult, a mature person. That's the way we think is like, wait a minute, we're not trying to be greedy here. You're not going to take that other turkey away from me. Like, we don't think like that. 
We don't think like that. So I just don't understand the reasoning. I don't understand the ideology, like you say, of what happens in these meetings that come after hunters. It makes no sense at all unless it's just another what you call a thousand cuts, a thousand band-aids to take our guns. Yep. I don't know. I don't get it. I'm forever an optimist. I think a lot of it's people in government not coming from places where hunting has been a thing, you know, maybe like right now, most of the folks, they haven't had the experience. They haven't been around it. So they have their own tunnel vision judgment on it. I think, you know, having worked in government myself, there's no better opportunity to have conversations and to see different viewpoints from all Americans than when you're in those seats of power. So I just would behoove them and ask them to just open the door and have the conversations because in the hunting community, endless wealth of knowledge on, on how to properly manage, you know, what works, what doesn't work. We've all seen it and lived through it to not tap into that resource. I mean, shame on the government. What speaking of government and your Capitol Hill statement from a couple minutes ago, Ben, what was going on with Senator Ted Cruz? What was his positioning and what was he being law? Was he being lobbied? What explain to me what that that communication course with with Ted Cruz was in the last week? Yeah, so that was one of our visits. So we had, you know, over 100 of our members came in um, from around the country and we broke off into into different teams and we went around and we met with senators and members of Congress um, from 60 offices. So we, we had an awesome opportunity to, to have FaceTime, you know, with all the different senators, uh, Senator Ted Cruz, Senator Steve Daines, past legislator of the year, Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith from Mississippi, legislator of the year this this past year, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Senator you know Bill Haggerty, the two senators from the state of Tennessee where our convention is, uh, list goes on. And then on the, on the House side, you know, great visits with, with a number of members from all over where we really just sat down and did a little bit of, you know, talking on what our priorities were. And I was really proud of, you know, the priorities that, that we brought is the ones that we developed with our membership. You know, we went out to SCI membership and said, what matters most to you? With that, we were able to put together, you know, six priorities that we went into each of these offices to talk about and just had that full conviction going in because it was representing the hunter and what the hunter cares about because that's what SCI is. That's what our members, you know, told us to talk on. So if it was with Ted Cruz or with any of the other members, you know, we were really focusing in on, you know, the ban on, on on lead threats to dismantling Pittman Robertson, you know, our funding model for North American conservation attempts to, to ban predator hunting contests, which is really just undercutting state management authority um, trophy bans. That's always going to be an issue top of mind. Um, it's the low hanging fruit for a lot of folks and they, 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 they make moves to do it, but it's extremely damaging uh, for communities, wildlife and beyond. Um, ESA, you know, the Endangered Species Act, celebrating its 50th anniversary of becoming a law. Um, it's extremely flawed and it's been weaponized, you know, opportunity to, to address that and fix it. Um, and then no net loss of access like we were talking about, you know, just having a commitment from, from Congress to not take access away. So whether it was Ted Cruz with the other members, that's what we were, you know, having our discussions on. And a lot of it was doing some of the educating and you know, as we get closer to the election, we're going to shift some of that education process to to voters and letting them know, you know, kind of the report card of where things have been heading, where, you know, the administration is, where Congress is on these priorities and what folks can do about it, which is obviously vote and exercise their democratic freedoms. So 
it was a great, great visit. You know, we've packed most of those visits into one day from 7 a.m. until the end of the day. And then had a had a, a wrap up um, that evening with the D.C. chapter. They had their their big blowout banquet in D.C. with a number of members there, too. So it was good. Uh, it was it was really eye opening. You know, it, it it's always um, it always warms my heart just to see our members engage. Right. I mean, like I get to do it all on my own lonesome when I'm in D.C., um, where I have doors open to me and I can meet with folks like a Senator Ted Cruz, but they don't open the door and meet with me to say hi to Ben. Right. It's because I ride on the shoulders of, you know, our army of advocates and seeing it when it's actually them talking. And we got our members from Texas talking right to the senator. It was awesome. You know, kind of started off, say, in the Ted Cruz meeting. I don't want to talk too much about a private meeting, but I will. Uh, You know, it started off with just talking about these priorities. um, And then slowly, like, he he warmed up to it. And he's like, you want to see, you know, the whitetail I got last season? leave there, go over to his other office and he's just showing it off to us, you know, and it gets into everyone getting their phones out. Like this is West Texas, you know, South Texas, Whitetail. So it just, it became, you know, that, that friendship, which was really cool to see. And when, yeah. you, when, when you have your members in that situation in the meetings like that, and they're talking to senators like Ted Cruz, and obviously you just let it out of the bag that Ted's a hunter. But do you get questions? Do you get educated responses? Do you get hypotheses from me? Do you get uh, pushback? Does any do any of these people that you invited these senators? Is it is it constructive to the point to where the SCI members that are that are that are there educating have to really put their think tank on and they get do they get challenged a little bit during this period? Yeah, I mean, some some can be a little bit more challenging, and I appreciate any of the offices where they're just a bit inquisitive. You know, they're not going to just take you know your white paper and whatever it says and say, "Cool, works for me." You know, no, they've got their their name on and they want to do their due diligence. So, I think it turns into really good, robust conversations. Like we talk about, you know, the Return Act, which was introduced last Congress. You know, that would take away Pittman Robertson, right? It would replace it with an unproven funding model. It's not going to work. It's flying in the face of something that works really well. But, you know, a lot of members have been lobbied by other folks that want to see that kind of bill pass. So some of the onus goes on us to be able to defend what our position is and make the arguments. And I think, you know, what I saw from our members, you know, we have ongoing dialogue and like prep for the meeting. I was super impressed with our folks. I mean, they're just like me is where we have these these positions that we take and they're very easy for us to take because you never question them. Right. I mean, we know that we're doing what's right for the right reasons. Um, I think that translates through when our members talk to these staff members or or with the members of Congress or senators. Um, so it was, it was really cool to see. I think it was really get great conversations. A lot of it is just part of a dialogue, whether it's ongoing or starting for the first time with those folks um but opportunities to keep the the, the discussion going and you know have that open line of communication i think is is critical especially like when we're talking about you know the endangered species act like that's something that's kind of always a moving target but we've established good connections with folks that you know when they have a question on it or when they've got an idea they want to see and bounce it off us if this is something like the hunting community would be good with we've established that line right so really really invaluable glad to have it back right i'd never done one while being at sci a lobby day because it's all been shut down at the capitol but everything's back open the way it should be it's the people's house you know 
Senate. Like, so we were back able to just get into the buildings and have those, those, those visits, which was just great to see, great to have back. I've seen some endorsements come out in the last 60 days from representation of the Republican party. Will there be an endorsement for presidential race 2024 from Safari Club International? Has there been? Are you guys open about that? I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but you can remind me right now. Like, will there be an endorsement coming up from you guys? And when can we expect that, if so? Yeah, I mean, we'll go through and look at all the members and their platforms, what they've done for hunters. And we'll make sure to be able to inform all of our membership, you know, where these different candidates stand. Because I know, at least with our membership, you know, a lot of them, when, when they're going and making their decisions, whether it's in the primary and the general, they're looking at, you know, where do they stand and what I what I care about, you know? So it's it's our job just as monitors, you know, to be able to inform folks where they stand. Um, I would generally veer away from doing any sort of endorsements during a primary situation, certainly during a general election. Um, but I imagine we're going to have a number of folks that rise, say, on a Republican side that have really strong records um, that we're going to have to put into consideration. Then we'll have some that have bad records. We'll want to have people have the information available. Um, but if you're putting like an A versus an A, you know, I don't know why you would try to try to tell someone how to vote there. We scout hard. Scouting is such a big part of hunting and consistent success. Mule deer, long time ago. I don't see any, Dad. Just keep your glasses up. Look for that white tail, the little white tail of a mule deer, just twitching a little bit. Look for the sun hitting off his antlers as he lays in his bed during the afternoon. It's not easy to spot mule deer in high rock country of Nevada or Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, Idaho, Utah, Arizona, the Strip, the Kaibab. It's not easy. Glassing is an art. Patience. And then when it comes to waterfowling, well, duck hunters don't need glasses, really. I scout every day with glasses and sometimes a spotting scope. I use rangefinders to understand how far I'm off a fence line, a tree line, how far my furthest decoy is. Maybe I'm lazy. I don't step it off. I do step it off some, but I use rangefinders now. And they're all supplied by Vortex, a Wisconsin American-based company, Vortex Optics. Their casual line of clothing their spotting scopes, their rangefinders, their binoculars, their innovation, their dedication to conservation and hunting. I've hunted with members of the Vortex family and employees. I've visited their headquarters. I've learned their culture and their quality is second to none. Never will you be in one of our Ford trucks and not see a pair of binoculars on the console, in the console, on the back seat, hanging from one of the headrests onto the passenger seat or the driver's seat. We're always ready. We look over, see a mallard pitching down. What is that? Oh, a goose just went down over there. Was that a turkey? Oh, I just saw a flash over there. Is that a big snow goose grind? Is that a mule deer? Is that an antelope? Is that a moose? Is that an elk? We scout hard because we want to be prepared. There, nothing is ever going to replace the scout. So believe in it. You might have to leave earlier. We travel so many miles behind the windshield in Canada, Saskatchewan, Alberta, traveling those dirt roads, looking for the best hunt. And then we have plan B and plan C. If plan A doesn't work out, did a coyote run through him right before b- b- before the sun went down and blew him out of there? Okay, we might have to go to plan B tomorrow. We always go back to plan A and make sure they're there. We put them to bed. Scout hard, learn how to scout, live that Vortex lifestyle. Thank you so much to Vortex Optics for being the official optic 
of the Foul Life TV, the Foul Life podcast, where the pavement in podcast. And don't forget to check out Vortex Scouting segments coming up on season 15 of Benelli's The Foul Life exclusively on the Outdoor Channel beginning in late June, early July 2023 and running through late December after Christmas. The best time of the year, 2023, on the Outdoor Channel. Thank you, Vortex, and thank you all for supporting the brands that support the foul life. So speaking specifically of former President Donald J. Trump, um, his son, Jr., is a very big advocate for what we believe in. Um, and tremendous. Tremendous. Um, Donald has announced his candidacy. President Trump has re- announced his candidacy for the next election. Is he an A? Is he a, a, a good advocate for what you're talking about with these issues? Has he has he entertained this? Has he brought this to the forefront? I know he has with the Second Amendment. I know that he's spoken at the NRA several times. Has he spoken at an SCI convention, which is where we're going to parlay into? Will he? Is that ever even a, a thought? And where do you stand as far as being the guy on Capitol Hill when it comes to former President Donald J. Trump? Would love to have the president attend our show. Um, I would say having worked for President Trump in the administration. And what I worked on was the recreation, conservation, hunting and fishing space that you can't find any other president that's done as much for hunters and anglers as President Trump. I mean, maybe Teddy Roosevelt, sorry, of course. (laughs) Gotta put him in there. But I mean, just looking at just somebody that's purely driven by results, um, business-minded. I mean, when I was at Interior, record-breaking millions of acres open to to access you know now we see a hunt fish rule it's about what are you going to take away millions there like really thoughtful approaches to state managed you know multiple stakeholder private land state government federal government working together on migration corridors recognizing that that was that's been a huge issue in breaking up you know big game corridors and then leaning on the states to be able to develop um, fixes rather than big government coming in and doing it and that's still a legacy that's being carried on today you're seeing a lot of what comes out of the current administration celebrating wins with migration corridors that all starts at the last administration lots to point to um from 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 president trump and his administration on, on what was achieved endangered species act doing sensible uh, reg changes um that would actually have it function Imagine that having an ESA that recovers species and delists them. Imagine that actually doing what it's supposed to do and actually putting those pieces into place. Now, unfortunately, we're seeing current administration trying to roll a lot of that back. And last week we saw the United States Senate then toss out some of these regs that have gone through under the Biden administration. That shows you something has to be bipartisan to get through the Senate. Two of them were thrown out last week. Now, of course, the White House has already said, once that gets to our desk, we're going to veto it. Explain yourselves. Um, but still, just to see where, you know, the representatives of the of the American people are. Common sense, you know, that's what a lot of what we saw at the last administration. So that's where I stand. I like where you stand. So your comment about if there's an A versus an A with good messaging on both sides of the teeter-totter for SCI and its initiatives... Does the past experience 
of what Donald J. Trump did and stood by the Department of the Interior and put his money where his mouth was in many instances that I mean, you know, way more of them than I do, Ben, but I know of a few of them. Does it make it easier to endorse somebody like that? Or is it going to be tough um, come endorsement time to to pick one? Is that kind of what your, your comment meant of A versus A? I say A versus A, putting on my hat from when I worked at NRA. So at NRA, we had that gold standard for, for, for grading, right? And we did those, you know, A's and A's. NRA obviously still still does. We we don't engage in that way. But what I am saying is SCI will inform voters on where the candidates stand on hunting. And I think that there's a, there's a lot to highlight for what Trump, you know, President Trump did. So that it behooves us to be able to inform folks of that and, and Move, anyone else that's running moving on to another sci advocate and supporter tucker carlson he's been in the news quite a bit lately i don't know why i don't i'm sure you might know why um the man is in trouble for telling the truth he talked i don't know i've seen a lot of speeches and i know you've seen more i i assume that's his speech two years ago in Vegas is one of the finest live speeches I've ever witnessed. There were so many that year at the convention. Um, but another example of the truth being shut down, fired, asked to have a gag order pretty much of $20 million a year to stay, you know, to keep his mouth shut and not take another job. What, what are your feelings on, the powerhouses that would be considered an A. It's obvious that the guys that are, and women that have these points of view are getting subdued. And, and, and thank God for other platforms that we have out there, whether it's Don Jr.'s uh, podcast triggered, whether it's these talks with Elon Musk that, that, that Tucker is talking about with Twitter. Talk to me, Ben Cassidy, about the importance of the messaging from a powerhouse platform such as Tucker Carlson. Don Trump Jr. There's other ones. There's other ones that are so vividly obsessed with getting this out there right that sometimes people like Ted Nugent are misunderstood. But when Ted talks, I'm like, okay, he's yeah. he's got our back. He's got the guy is smart. So is it obvious to you, Ben, that it was just another example of the truth being shut down and duct tape being put over somebody's mouth? But Tucker doesn't seem to have that personality to stand for that. No way is he going to accept this $20 million a year to shut up. All he was doing was telling the truth. Or am I off base there? I mean, all I know is the way that media works today, you can't put a gag order on somebody like Tucker Carlson, right? All they, they th- that did was... It, raised his profile even more somehow obviously he's already massive but whatever platform he lands on next whether it's the twitter deal or where else can you imagine the reach he's gonna have and thank god he's on our side thank god he's a he's a hunter thank god he's an angler you know and and, and he espouses our way of life because he touches more folks than any other you know messenger possibly could right i mean it's going to be crazy to see how this entire election plays out with the, the ways things are communicated now. Tucker do, unleashed. <laughs> being on on Capitol Hill, Ben Cassidy, do you put any weight in the in the numbers that come out this soon, like forty points ahead of DeSantis is Trump, or seven points ahead of by nine points ahead of by? Like, is there any weight that that carries at this time in the process? 
No, I think it's interesting to to follow it and see what's working. You know, obviously money is being spent right now and ads are being run. You can kind of see like what messages are sticking and moving things. But I wouldn't put stock in how the American public is going to vote because the American public isn't really focused on presidential election yet, right? They typically don't even focus in on it. I mean, it's changed a little bit over time with how saturated we are. But most people that are going to be casting a ballot don't tune in until Labor Day of the election year. Right. I mean, for what the general is. And it all breaks down. I mean, you could have these national polls where, you know, Biden's underwater, Trump's up on him. But it all breaks down to state level, too. Right. The primaries that they've all got to go through. You know, you could be super popular one place, but it's not the place where it matters that th- that week, right? If you're dealing with a primary in Iowa. So I think it's way far out to, to read too far into anything. Ben, on a personal level, um, I got to ask you this. With so many, I'm not saying that you, that you face a lot of defeat, but you face a lot of potential defeat. You, you are fighting every day. Um, to put hunters first on Capitol Hill with your team at SCI, the team of lawyers, lobbyists. How how does it affect you personally? You're always so upbeat and your charisma is always so almost to the point to where sometimes I even want to be like, how can you be so excited? How can you be so fired up? It's nine in the morning. Chill out. Let's have a cup of coffee. But you just have that that contagious kind of personality and charisma. My My point is this. Do you ever get down? Do you ever get dark about what's going on in our country? I know you're an optimist, but does, pessimi- does pessimism ever set in? Do you ever find yourself sitting at home when you know you should be with your kids and your wife, but you're sitting there going, man, this is really bleak. This is really getting to me. Does it ever get to you, Ben, to, to see how, the, how ignorance is portrayed in today's society? Uh- Maybe it's part of why I, I'm involved in politics is because I know that there is a means to get things done, right? And to, and, to, and to change the course if it's not going in the right direction. And I really do believe in hunting being just so fundamental to the human experience and ingrained within us that at the end of the day, with facts, which we have on our side, we can win. I think it's a constant struggle and battle to get the message right, to have it in front of the right people. But I just know that our foundation is stronger than anyone else's and that that's going to make the difference at the end of the day. So, I mean, I don't know that I I don't overthink it and get down about it. I know what what we're faced up against. I'm not naive or daft in any way, but I just know that in a court of opinion, us versus the other side, we win. Reason versus emotion, you know, the mind will beat out the heart. That's just how I see it. And I it's just, I mean, again, refreshing to just see like, fresh off of this Capitol day, you know, our, our members and like how informed and engaged they are. Now, I've got my way of delivering a message. It was cool to sit back and watch some of our folks that never lobbied a day in their life, go in and represent an idea, you know, or, or an opinion, um, a belief as a hunter and just how that would resonate. I was just like, this is amazing. This is in their own words. And at the end of the day, it's the same feelings I have. It's just expressed their way. And it makes all the difference. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I guess I, I'm very optimistic, but again, it's, it's why I, I work in the space I work in. I love hunting. I know how critical politics is. You know, you put that passion on with the ability to change things. It's incredible. Um, I will say, you know, I, I was more pessimistic about how government can work for the people until seeing like what we've been able to do at SCI. 
I mean, we've just been up against some real fights where it's just like, how do you possibly win that? Like a trophy ban in California, you know, that's the most emotion driven, uh, lowest hanging fruit for the antis, right? And being able to, to go into Sacramento, connect the right people with the right folks and having that defeated, I mean, who's not gonna be optimistic after that, right? There's a way to get our message across and done right and we've seen it, now let's just repeat it, right? And it's endless, endless effort and fun to it, but you know, it drives me, drives all of the folks that work on the team at SCI. If I'm 20 years old right now, which I'm in my mid forties right now, you are too, I believe. What would almost you tell? 40 in a month. You're almost 40. What would you tell the 20 year old right now, male or female coming out of college, getting ready to embark on their professional career is hunting in trouble. Do they have to be worried that their kids aren't going to get to hunt their grandkids potentially not get to hunt. I know they got to get involved, but a lot of 20 year olders don't understand Safari Club at the time. It's like a maturity thing through the yeah. hunting career. I want to kill the biggest buck. I want to hunt as many days as I can. I got to get a limit of green ads every single day. Da, 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 da. Um, what do you tell the 20 year old right now, Ben Cassidy, the importance of becoming a member? And if you can, a life member of Safari Club International, um, it's not just another agency it's not just another organization this is worldwide that has the victories the proofs in the pudding again i'm still parlaying into what took place in february in nashville tennessee at the national convention i guess it's an international convention i said that wrong what would you tell that 20 year old right now ben like you should be worried or you shouldn't because SCI's got you, but you got to be aware. How important is awareness? And what would you tell this new generation of hunters that I don't know were really raised the same way we were? I'm going to, that sounds like a big assumption, but gosh, I run into so many young people that I go into the process of employing into this industry. And I just find myself shaking my head like, what? That never happened when I was being raised or when I was a kid. That never even came across my mind. I know that we are just inundated with content. And when I was growing up, I didn't know what the person in in New Mexico was doing for breakfast on a Sunday morning or that a mom in Minnesota was dancing with her three kids. We have so much going into our brains now. What do you tell this 20-year-old to keep them on that straight and narrow of like, hey, this is important. Yep. We have to be involved at a young age right now. This is your hunting career, your legacy right now. Not just for you, but for the generations to follow you. Um, I think I would just clearly point out that hunting is not a right. We have a Second Amendment, say for gun ownership. Second Amendment is not about hunting, right? Self-defense. Hunting isn't a right. Freedom isn't free. You're not at the table. You're being served on the table, Right. And there's more power in numbers than there is doing it, doing it alone. There's no other group that's out there fighting for the hunter, for you specifically, for the hunter than Safari Club International. So it behooves anyone that's just coming out that wants to defend it and have it remain to join an organization like Safari Club International to be able to have an amplified voice during these debates. Everything across society is constantly being debated and decisions are being made that either elevate it or depress it, right? So being engaged, having an understanding that none of this is guaranteed and every day is a fight, that'll take you a long way. And knowing that there's a place, you know, with friends to do it with, Safari Club, that's what makes the difference. 
I love it. Is it is it safe to say that the majority of memberships in Safari Club International is at least 35 years old and older? Yeah, I think that in Nashville this last year, it was the youngest skew we've ever seen, um, which was incredible just to see how the community is, is changing and shifting. But yeah, I think your your average SCI member probably got a family and is established and yeah. Safari Club convention, the international convention that took place in February of this year in Nashville, it was it was unbelievable. Like I've been to a lot of SCI international conventions. This one was special. Now I'm not saying that what had happened in Reno, Nevada, and Las Vegas, Nevada in the past is not special, but this one hit different. Yeah. This this one, okay. Like there's a lot of cool kids in Vegas, you know, that that go clubbing and. Vegas has always had that reputation of the nightlife, but there was something different about middle Tennessee for this convention. It, it was a cool factor that I have not seen in a while. It's now I, you know, better than I do about what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to educate you on anything, but in Vegas the year before I didn't feel as cool as I did in Nashville. <laughs> We need what? you feeling cooler, right? So we got to go to but, Nashville. But do you know what say, I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. everybody was so cool there. Everybody was, was like, cool. it was neat. I really felt like that too. Yeah, I, I think like the way I look at it is, we had 50 years in the state of Nevada. Great, rich history developed out those 50 years. Nashville was looking forward to the next 50 years. It's like that big coming out jump off party. Um, it was awesome across the board, day and night. All the people, just the conversations that we all had, incredible. I can't wait to do it again next year. What we got January 30th to, to February 3rd of 2024, already planning underway. Very excited about what's to come. Our theme is the future of hunting. We've talked about that a lot today. Seems to come up whenever you talk about it with any hunters is the future and the concern and the opportunity. Um, so really want to be able to, to celebrate and recognize that, especially with what we saw this last year in Nashville. Cause I would say walking the floor, just looking around, I could see the future of hunting right there. So it's like, let's run with it. Keep doing what we're doing. I'm kind of biased about Nashville just cause I love that part of the country so much. I will live there someday in the, in the outskirts around there, but I don't want to see it go anywhere else. Now, no offense to Indy or Louisville, no offense to New Orleans, no offense to anybody that is in the running, but man, it's going to be really, really hard for any other location to make me feel that way that yeah. I did because I didn't want to leave. I didn't want it to end. And I'm talking from the convention to the floor, to the, to, to the messaging and the speeches, to the luncheons and to the nightlife. I mean, it was just special. It was just, it just hit different. And the, and the, the data that went into, to, um, bringing it to that part of the country is mind blowing of how many hunters live within a arm's length of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, so this year it's going to be the end of January where we're pushing it, you know, it's going to be a little bit earlier than last year. Um, sure. Are there discussions going on on expectations? Have you guys, are you guys going to outgrow Nashville in the amount of hotel rooms? Because this is kind of what happened in Reno, in my opinion, like yeah. Reno got outgrown, moved to Vegas. Vegas has got more hotel rooms than any other city in the country. I think, I think that's right. Maybe New York. I don't know, but, but is, is Nashville ready for this? Are they, are they going to be able to, to keep adapting? Cause I don't see this thing slowing down momentum wise with growth and people yeah. being part of it. 
Yeah, I think that Nashville is an incredible partner that we're working with. I think that they're growing, you know, over time too. I think if you looked at Nashville five years ago, it's a different city today, right? The amount of just hotel rooms that they've built over the last five years. And we're going to continue to see that growth. So they'll be prepared to have us, you know, continue to, to grow with them. Um, but yeah, obviously we, we broke all of our records across the board uh, this first year in Nashville. I don't know of anyone that's saying, you know, I'm not coming back till you're back in Vegas, nothing against Vegas, but I don't hear anybody saying that. Um, so I could just see us continuing to, to grow along with Nashville and take it to some new levels. I'm very excited about what, what's coming, you know, over the summer and fall, we'll start unrolling some of the, uh, what's going to be coming out in Nashville. Hopefully we can have you on my podcast. I'll come back on here and talk about it because I'm excited to share details. Yes, I, I 100% want to come back onto yours, um, the first for Hunters podcast. When I, I think that the, the the consistency in messaging is everything, and it's working because I see more younger people, our age and younger, being aware. I don't remember coming up in you know being in my 20s and the Hunters in my age group being as aware as I see today. And I think that it is because that consistency of messaging and the platforms that the messaging is out there. Plus on top of that, you put that hunting is always in the news, you know, that, that it's always being attacked. And I want people to understand of what you said. Now that the argument of hunting is not a right. It's a biblical, right? It's a, it's a, what my good friend, Remy Warren would call a privilege. Um, but when you talk to uncle Ted Nugent, it's a right. Nobody's going to take it from me, but we have to fight for it daily in a, in a, in a, in a mature manner. And that's what I saw in Nashville, Ben. It's like the messaging and the, and the charisma and the energy and the culture and the love and the respect. There was so much admiration for each body in these rooms it, at the women events. This was the year of the woman hunter. I mean, there was yep. so much admiration. There was no cattiness. I don't know if you would have put a thousand protesters on that sidewalk like I've seen at other conventions, whether it was Safari Club or NRA or, or different um, conventions I've been privy to. I don't know if it would have mattered. I just don't think that they could have gotten they, the, the messaging would not have even been entertained. It was so legitimately showcased this year in a cool way that hunting is becoming the way I don't care how you do it. As long as it's legal and ethical, sure. we got to quit. We got to stop the infighting. We got to stop it. We got to, if I hear one other person say you should not be able to hunt a turkey with a bow and arrow because I believe that you shouldn't, but I'm not going to soapbox it because it's legal. If it's ethical and you have that shot, then do it. But don't, don't come down on somebody because they cook a duck breast a different way than you don't come down on a state that wants to legalize Sunday hunting for a veteran who cares. Who cares? That guy and the girl fought for our freedoms. Who cares? Stop thinking that you own the deer. It's almost like road rage. This is my road. You didn't put your blinker on. I'm going to freaking get out and punch you in the face. No, that's not how society works. No. Pump the brakes, take a deep breath, and understand that if you do it right, respect other hunters. And that's what Nashville showed me was I was like, yeah, I've known that guy. And I think that that guy has a different point of view from me. But I respect it because I see what he's doing here. He's advocating yep. hunting. We're all hunters. We've got to stop this infighting. And we are the, we're the freaking worst at it, man. Hunters are like, 
I, I love skateboarding. I can't, the skateboarders are all together. They're like this little army that's like, skateboarding is not a crime. I'm going to go rail slide down the hospital steps and I'm going to grind across your mom's headstone if I have to. Like, even though it should, it isn't always ethical, they've stuck together. And look where skateboarding is today. It's in yeah. the X Games. It's, it's an Olympic event. It's ESPN. It's everywhere. They stuck together. They didn't knock each other out of the park every single time. They smiled. Right, they hug each other. boards versus short boards. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they celebrate each other. We've yep. got to celebrate each other. So don't be afraid to celebrate somebody else's hunt because that could be you the next year. Jealousy and envy and greed and all of this have to leave the hunter's mind because there's bigger things at stake here. Stop freaking infighting. We've got to stop that. I wanted to end our conversation with that today because what I saw in Nashville has I've never felt that way coming out of an SCI convention. You may have coming out of Vegas the year before. It was strong. But myself personally, I have never felt, and I'm still here. I am 60, 75 days out, and I'm still giddy. I've already booked my hotel rooms. I've already, I've already told snow goose camps I will not be there during this time <laughs> when usually, you know, it's on the last day of duck season. I don't care. I am yep. already ready to do it again. Do I hope that this summer goes by slow and I get some beach time? Yes. Do I hope that hunting season, do I hope that hunting season is awesome and memorable? Yes. But Ben, I'm telling you, Nashville hit different. We stopped the infighting. Come to Nashville this year in 2024, late January, 2024, and just see if you ever infight again. Come be with all these hunters. Put your money where your mouth is. I don't care if you're a Western in Montana wearing skinny jeans to hunt a goat. And I don't care if you're a redneck with a red man shaw on your lip hunting ducks up against a tree in Arkansas. Come together and see if one bad feeling comes through your body about infighting or the other way pe- or, or the way other people hunt. I just this this was an amazing convention. We'll find a lot more in common than we find differences, right? Amen. I love it. I do. I just I just came it just hit different in Tennessee. All right, here we go with the Safari Club International hot seat with Mr. Ben Cassidy, head of government affairs for Safari Club International. Don't forget about SCIF, Safari Club International International Foundation. You are going to be hearing a lot more about that from the foul life coming soon. I'm learning more as I go, but it is absolutely amazing as well. Ben, um, turkey hunting. Would you rather hunt an Osceola in Florida or a Miriams in Montana at Devil's Tower? Um, Osceola, Florida. Wow. He doesn't want to go to God's country. I love love Osceola. When you are shooting, and I have shot with you on courses, um, you're a good shot. Thank you. you. And I'm talking shotgun. One eye open, both eyes open. Both eyes open. Your whole life? Yeah, since I started shooting, yeah, my whole life. With your personality, your charisma, your energy level, how many Red Bulls a day, if any? None. I drink eight cups of coffee before 10 a.m., though. Eight cups of coffee before 10 a.m.? Maybe five, five to eight, yeah. If I challenged you on a Traeger Grill cookout, what could you guarantee a victory on your side with? What animal, what recipe would you guarantee you whip my butt in a cook-off. I mean, I made incredible lamb chops for Mother's Day. Everyone's talking about them, the whole neighborhood. Everybody. 
I dare you to keep up with that. <laughs> Lamp chops. Is this wild sheep? Because I said wild game. Is this it, is what it, I, this... I, you, you just said me. Okay. <laughs> oh, did I? Okay, lamb chops. I do how love a my, good... My, how about my enormous nil guy that the King Ranch so generously showed me where to find the biggest and the best in America? Um, that is some good eating meat. The nil guy. I don't think I can mess it up. I don't know if you have any nil guy, so I think I got you beat right there. I don't have any, but let, exactly. Do you, do you sue V at first and then reverse here? Because the best, the best um, non-domestic animal that I've had out of Texas was uh, Mr. Mitch Petrie, the VP of programming for the Outdoor Channel and Sportsman's Group, cooked me Audad or Axis. Both of them. He cooked both of them with a sous vide process and then reverse seared it on a on a Traeger grill. Do you sous vide? My dad is a huge severe. I've not really dabbled with it. I, I, I get it. I think it's delicious. Um, I'm more of a use the grill at a really low temperature, pull it off, wrap it in foil, jack the heat up intensely, and then burn it on both sides real quick. Um, that's my, my, my secret. The one concert that I'm looking forward to this summer, 2023, Ben Cassidy, is happening where we just talked about. Nashville, Tennessee, Music City, USA, August 26, 2023. I will be seeing this lineup, and I'm going to tell you this lineup, and I want you to tell me the name of the band. Duff McKagan. Okay, done. Slash slash Axl Rose. Okay, I get to see Guns N' Roses, August 26. I'm a groupie. Self-admittingly, I'm a groupie. What concert are you looking forward to in the next five months before summer ends? I'm just trying to figure it out right now because it's kind of complicated with resale markets in Ireland, but Iron Maiden is playing in Dublin on June 24th. Obviously sold out immediately. Would be really into seeing that. So that's top of mind right now, trying to make that work. It's a Wow. I would. I, I, you you could have given me a hundred guesses, and I would never have guessed Eddie and Bruce Dickinson, and <laughs> and and run to the heels. I'm going to tell you a quick story to end our conversation. Ben Cassidy, SCI. Thank you so much for being here. My first concert ever, 1986. I'm 10 years old. I was a addicted to D Snyder. We're not going to take it. I want to rock and the stay hungry album where he's on the front and his makeup with the bone and he's yep. holding it like this and he's sitting on the floor in the corner. Twisted Sister's going to open for Bruce Dickinson and Iron Man. This is the 666 number of the Beast tour. And I'm yes. like, I'm like, oh, wow. Is dad even going to allow me? My dad takes me, Orville Belding, walks me in there. This dude is as country as country can get for the Nevada area. Like, this guy might as well have been born in the deep south because he was only Merle Haggard and only the best, like Don Williams. And I'm talking country. He agrees to take me. Twisted Sister opens. Well, on the Stay Hungry album, they didn't cuss. Every other word out of D. Snyder's mouth was the F word. I had never been to a concert. I didn't know this was even legal. I didn't know this happened in a world. I didn't have on MTV. You just saw videos back then. There was no live concerts coming in this early. There was no YouTube and there was no Tic Tac and Instagram to where I could see all these clips. So I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I wasn't allowed to say suck. S, I wasn't allowed to say anything in front of my mom. What I did Orville cuss. Belding do? Orville Belding looks at me and I said, Dad, please don't make me leave. I want to hear we're not going to take it. And I know they're going to sing I Want to Rock. He lets me stay. Crowd's going nuts. Intermission. Lights go down. Flames come up. Eddie comes walking out on the stage. The mummy. Bruce Dickinson lights into it. First song. 666 is number of the beast. My dad said, we're going. He walked me all the way out of there. Up the stairs. Up the stairs 
And I was just like, oh my gosh, you couldn't start with something a little bit milder, Bruce Dickinson. Like you had to go straight into 666. (laughs) (laughs) That's my Iron Maiden story. That was my first concert, Orville Belding set. Okay, I'm going to let you stay for Twisted Sister. But as soon as that song came on and Eddie started walking out and the flames came up, he's like, we are getting the F out. And I was like, (laughs) bam, thank you very much. Thank you very much for being here. I'll wait for my invite for a couple things. One, to be on your podcast two to shoot with you and anna v again because we had a blast that day and three to come to your house and try some of these lamb chops is it with mint jelly or do you no. you don't need it okay no perfect. that's the 60s when it was you, all rancid you don't need it no. you don't need it those are the three invites i will uh okay. done, patiently done, be done. waiting for all that's done. ben cassidy's safari club international become okay safariclub.org Become a member, life member. Get your tickets to the 2024 convention in Nashville. I mean, I'm talking right now, like you have to start the process right now. You wait much longer and it's going, everything was sold out. Everything was sold out. Hotel rooms were hard to find. Get involved. You will not find a better time, a better use of your time. Take a vacation that time of year. See some music, music. Go see Lower Broadway in Midtown. There's going to be nightly events every night with get-togethers with SCI members. Then the convention floor, absolutely amazing. Try to sign up for one of the banquets and see some of the speaks speeches. I don't know if any of the speech, speakers have been announced yet, but it's always strong. The after concerts this year, Leonard Skinner played. I mean, freaking Leonard Skinner, Lee Bryce. It's the home of music right now. It's the hottest city in America, Nashville. The 2024 Safari Club International Convention. Come see it. Ben Cassidy, any closing words before we let you go today? What are you doing? Listen to us. Get out there and hunt or fish. <laughs> oh, man. Ben, I've been slamming the stripers on the Sacramento River with Rocky Merlo. You need to yeah, come out. Two weeks come out. on the striper. All right, we're going to have Ben back on soon and look for us on the First for Hunters podcast brought to you by Safari Club International. This is another episode of Foul Thoughts with Chad Belding and Ben Ben Cassidy. Safari Club International presents the Foul Life podcast, Foul Thoughts. In the meantime, please check out this song. This is the rock band 2AM Logic. This song is called My Foul Life. <laughs>